Welcome to Everyday Martial Artist, a weekly podcast where you'll join me, Brian Doucet, as I interview a different martial artist each episode and hear their story. Some guests you may have heard of, and some you probably haven't. Be sure to subscribe where all your favorite podcasts are available. Also, visit our website at everydaymartialartist.com. If you're listening for a specific interview, I sure hope you'll stay and check out the other episodes. A very special thank you to Topher Williams for our custom theme music. And now, the newest episode of Everyday Martial Artist. Everyday Martial Artist is brought to you by KOonline.com for all your martial arts needs. Sparring and safety gear, rank belts, uniforms, weapons, patches, and more. Wholesale supplies made by martial artists for martial artists. Visit us today at KO-Online.com. Hello and welcome to Everyday Martial Artist. I'm your host, Brian Doucette. And as we do every week, we're joined by a brand new guest talking about their life and their journey throughout the world of martial arts. My guest today has been involved in martial arts for over 55 years and currently holds the rank of 10th degree black belt in karate with a second degree in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. He's been a competitor, instructor, school owner, and promoter, a top-ranked karate national competitor, and a three-time black belt master's world champ in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. He's promoted over 1,500 people to black belt in karate, owned multiple school locations for 46 years promoted the Minnesota State Karate Championships, and promoted full-contact karate events. He also published Sport Karate Magazine. He was also a consultant on the design of Junery safety gear and the first person to wear pads in competition. You've seen him featured in numerous publications, and there's so much more we're going to be talking about. Please welcome my guest today, Mr. Pat Worley. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing great. Uh, how are you? I'm doing good. I appreciate your time, and I'm, I'm glad we're able to do this. And How we like doing things, we jump into it. I want to go all the way back to the beginning. I want to know where that first spark came from, that first interest in martial arts, and, and what kind of started off your martial arts journey. Be forewarned, I'm very boring. <laughs> <laughs> I, will try not to I don't think so. <laughs> okay. Back when I was in junior high, they used to have ads in these comic books. You know, talking about trying how to break a brick and that kind of stuff. And it, was, it intrigued me, you know. And my oldest brother, Rusty, and I'll talk about John. John, everybody mm -hmm. knows John. He's uh, also into martial arts. And we came up together. But my oldest brother, Rusty, had seen a karate demonstration and said, this would be perfect for Pat. I was a little bit, some may say a lot, uh, a little mm, high strung and, and uh, antsy and what they call it. Well, anyway, I got a lot of fights and stuff. Mm -hmm. So to be really good for me to, to learn karate for self-defense and for becoming more uh, disciplined and my mother said heck no he'll kill somebody there's no way i'm letting him do that <laughs> wow but i'd seen some uh then then came the uh bruce lee green hornet series came out so okay. i was a senior in high school i really wanted to do it and uh on christmas in 1966 i got 50 dollars as a present so on January 3rd, I went and gave it to this karate school at Worth Health Studio under Pat Burleson and said, how far can I go? He said, not very far. And I went, well, when that runs out, let me know. So my first class was January 3rd. It was a Tuesday at 7 p.m. Wow. Um, small detail. Who remembers yeah, the important date? That's good you remember <laughs> that. That's cool. I can remember what I did. I can remember who taught it. Uh, remember it, it was very, obviously, it was very impactful for me. Mm -hmm. But uh, I do a front kick and horseback riding stance punches. And uh, so there was a brand one named Charles who uh, taught the class. But uh, it was a good start. And so I started, that's when I started, January 3rd, 1967. And uh, it was a real small little health club called Worth Health Studios. Mm -hmm. I would go there and, and get beat up on a regular basis twice a week, three times a week. 
So what was it? You did that first class, you did some punches, did some kicks. What was it about it that made you want to stick with it? I mean, you obviously you were, inter- you were interested from TV and from books and stuff, but after actually doing it, what was it that made you want to go for it? It, just, it was very intriguing, and uh, I like to fight. I don't know why I do, but I do. And uh, I just it was just mind-blowing, overwhelming, and enjoyed. And then we started sparring very short period after I'd been there. So I knew nothing. I knew nothing about it. I didn't know how to fight, but I thought I did. So I'm out there moving around, and I thought this horrible haymaker, rich hand type thing, he got a thoroughplex. It drops in like a, like a bag of rocks. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my goodness, I'm in love. <laughs> just, this is great. So I was kind of, that was what I wanted to do. I just really enjoyed it. Just, I got hooked. Okay. It was just, I don't know how to explain it, but I just, it was just everything about it. I liked the workouts, I liked the mystique, I liked punching the techniques, learning how to kick. That was uh, important. So I asked my, my first, I think my first class, I think I walked out and had a picture of a guy doing a jump side kick. It was Pat Burleson. Mm-hmm. And Pat Burleson holding up a, a national title trophy, you know, for being one of the nationals. And I said, I want to do that. I want to be able to do a jump sidekick, and I want to win the Nationals. And everybody laughed and said, sure. Anyway, <laughs> so I eventually learned how to do a jump sidekick. <laughs> nice. And I did win the Nationals in 1970. So what was that What was that first style? It, well, it was it was Taekwondo under June Reed, but it was very, uh, again, in those days, you didn't have a lot of places to go. Mm-hmm. And karate was very limited on where you could learn and from whom you can learn. So in Texas, there were two, there was a guy named George Minshew that was studying under, and the name escapes me now, but he was Shotokai. And so he got to be friends with Pat Barlison, and people would mix styles a lot. Barlison, of course, you know, was under the June Ree, and, and he had Alice Steele under June Ree, which was Taekwondo. But you didn't have Facebook. You didn't have social media. You didn't have the internet. Mm-hmm. So you didn't learn a lot unless you got with other people and, and just traded techniques. So we were Taekwondo, but we had a lot of Shotokan influence. And uh, then you had to kind of go to tournaments and you would see somebody do something and you would try to learn it. You know, you go over and ask them how to do it and you would start doing that. So it wasn't like Taekwondo like you see today. Uh, right. We had the kicks. We also had the punches. And uh, also there was a lot of Kempo involved. Uh, my instructor got hooked up with a Kempo guy, so we started doing a lot of Kempo. And so it was very blended martial arts. Okay. So it, it was, so we, they call it Texas Kwando or Tex Kwando. And then you said that there was a brown belt teaching that first class. So uh, how, how long before you actually started training with Pat? Oh, I didn't train with Pat. Pat oh. was out of Fort Worth. Okay. Again, you didn't have a, a lot of schools. Mm-hmm. So the closest school to me was in Halton City, which is about a, a 20 minute drive away. Fort Worth, I'm going to get back to Pat in a second. Fort okay. Worth was 30 minutes away, probably. So Halton City was like a brand, satellite school. And my instructor was Chuck Lovin. Okay. He was my first teacher, and Charles uh, Darwin uh, was his assistant teacher, and he's the one that taught my first class. Okay. But uh, it was under Chuck Lovin. So I'm going to get back to when I was a junior, I was, we were down at a movie, me and some friends, and I saw the sign at the karate school upstairs. And I said, hey, guys, let's go look at this. And they went, no, no. And I was too afraid to go up by myself <laughs> this dark stairs to a karate school because i didn't know what to expect so i didn't go up but that was past school back oh, then okay and then he moved to bell now uh so chuck what was it about chuck that you really some things you remember about him that stood out as an instructor he was really a very uh dynamic teacher you know had a lot of charisma and uh believed in the martial arts and he taught a good class it was a hard class 
and he was he was tough. It, it, in those days, things were real. It was a lot of people, a lot of good people dropped out before they could get good because the classes were so intense. And uh, my brother and I came up together. So about a few months after I started, I got my brother involved. And so we would often, you know, he'd call me and say, Pat, let's go. I don't want to go. He said, Pat, I went when I didn't want to go and you want to go. I went. So you got to go when you don't want to go if I want <laughs> Nice. Uh, so he, uh, you know, we pulled each other up and uh, that made a big difference. But, but sometimes we'd pull up up front and we'd go, God, I don't know if I want to go in. It's going to look tough to you. Know, oh, God. Oh, Chuck saw us. We got to go in now because he saw us. <laughs> Nice. But, uh, you would always get beat up. I mm-hmm. mean, just always you would get knocked around, and you know. Plus, we didn't have pads, and so we were fighting on a, on a linoleum floor, hard surface. Mm-hmm. Shins banged up. You got your, you know, everything. You know, somebody got a, a busted nose or a cut eye. Nearly every class, it was, you know, somebody always got something hit, and it was pretty wild. And uh, it was fun. You know, I, I enjoyed it. So when people so, say old school martial arts, that was your class. <laughs> It was a school of martial arts. And I wanted nice. to break a break. I could tell the story. This is mm-hmm. one of my stories. So I said, Chuck, I want to break a brick. Will you show me how? He said, no problem. Bring in some stuff. Next class, I'll show you how. I'm all week long. I can't sleep. I was again, I was a white belt, maybe a green belt. I couldn't sleep. I was, I, I, I'm going to get to break a brick. So I take all these bricks in. And so he sits there and he, after class, he takes them and he lines them up. He looks at them, he adjusts them, looks at them, moves it, adjusts again, gets it all set up, looks at it, and goes, hit it real hard. <laughs> what? Hit it real hard. I said, that's it? That's how you break a brick? There's no secret? Hit it real hard. So I banged it and hit it and uh, hurt my hand. Okay, I, I hit it three or four times and it just, I couldn't break the brick because, you know, it's, it's a brick. I'm going to break a brick with my hand. It's impossible. Yep. Well, my teacher went back and he broke it and I said, oh, okay. And so uh, I, I didn't get to break a brick that day, but I did break one later. I learned how to break one later. Yet, you, you know, obviously hit through the brick because I would, you know, I would start up and I was come down as fast as I could and start slowing down, slowing down and hit it. So you were bouncing, you were bouncing off instead of going through it. <laughs> I was bouncing off instead of going through it. I just want to hit it real hard. That's it. Okay. But, uh, Anyway, so I finally learned how to break a brick, and mm-hmm. me breaking bricks, I was breaking bricks at a family thing. My brother saw me, John, and he went, that's cool. i got to be able to do that. <laughs> so he kind of got off and uh, came up together. It was okay. fun. Nice. So at what belt level did uh, did you start doing competition? Did, did you have to wait to a certain level, or did you get to jump into that right at white belt? When did you start competing in tournaments? Right off the bat. I'd nice. been taking maybe a month. Wow. And I went to the U.S. Open. It's a big tournament. Yep. I was a white belt. And, uh, and again, it was on a, it was on a concrete floor and the, the rules were very vague. I mean, you could do almost anything. You couldn't gouge, you couldn't kick the knees, you couldn't bite, but you could throw people, you could stomp on people. And, uh, you weren't supposed to hit people in the head mm-hmm. unless they were coming forward. If they're rushing forward, you get them in the head as hard as you want. Cause it's not your fault. They're coming forward. Yep. So I fought my first match. I won one. I lost my second one, but I just kept thinking, I think I'm, I could beat that guy. I think I'm better. I can beat that guy. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so that I was kind of hooked because I like to compete. I just I enjoy competition and love it. And then my next tournament, I was a green belt in Oklahoma City. I fought, fought, and I lost to a guy. I didn't know anything about it, but I found later that I took third. <laughs> really? <laughs> I didn't know that. You took, wow, I took third place. Nice. Oh, that was fun. That kind of also kind of threw a bunch of gasoline on the fire and mm-hmm. relit my passions. So back then, was it only sparring for the competition? They, I'm assuming, they, did they do form competition or did you just not they, do it? They or? didn't have form back in those days. Okay. Form didn't start until I was a maybe brown or black belt. Okay. Maybe when I made brown, they may have had form then. And, you know, also in our school, we didn't do forms a lot. 
Mm -hmm. It was basically, okay, do that pattern so you can pass your test. Now let's fight. Okay. And so we didn't do, didn't have very good form and it wasn't very, uh, didn't have a lot of misses on form. Okay. I started doing form competition and uh, was a black belt. And I went and it's again the U.S. Open in Dallas. And I've been I did form because I wanted to get warmed up to fight. So I did form. I enjoyed form, but it mainly was uh, to get me ready to fight. And my first tournament as a black belt, I did form and I won first place. I was kind of impressed. Cool. I was like, oh, dang, I won first. <laughs> so that was good. The people today, of course, are you know a thousand times better, and they specialize <laughs> in there. They, you know, they're a whole lot better. But I did a good basic form and uh, and won. That's always nice. Yeah, basic, so to, basics are important. So. <laughs> I went in form fighting and breaking if they hit it, but until we didn't have weapons. So you did form, you fight, and you can sometimes break. And I used to win in both and breaking too, but didn't do a lot of breaking, but mainly form and fighting. So but, uh, mainly like to fight. Okay. Enjoy fighting I'm curious what, you know, that's one thing I've never asked anyone that can be, what was the breaking competitions like back then? Was it like a set break or did you get to choose like a certain things you had to, how did it work back then? It was basically break boards, break, and nothing really advanced. Okay. You know, okay. Uh, now they're much more elaborate. It's yeah. Usually one break. You didn't do multiple, and uh, so they so they do a break and they'd be oh that's cool. Okay. okay. That was good. You broke four boards. Wow, that wins. Okay. <laughs> you broke a brick. Wow, that wins. But now they do all kinds of stuff. You know, they're breaking baseball bats, which I'm amazed they can do that. Yep. I'm like, wow, that's impressive. <laughs> And then at, at what level did uh, teaching become something that interested you? Well, I made brown belt. Mm -hmm. Chuck took us in and said, okay, you guys, uh, here's the deal. I want you guys to teach and we will let, you know, that'll cover your lessons. So you don't have to pay, you get free lessons, but you teach. I said, deal. I like that idea. <laughs> yeah. I was teaching around, but I, and I was the absolute worst teacher in the world. <laughs> I don't know how many bad teachers there are. But I, I have to I take pride in the fact I was the worst. Really? And I feel so sorry for my students back in those days because I didn't know how to teach. And I was terrible. It was just the culture was just be rough, be hard, mm -hmm. make it a hard class. That, that made you good. And that, the classes, I would do the class. I thought, well, if I can do it, they should be able to do it. And so, and you know, just it would be brutally terrible. No technique, just hard classes, you know, push-ups, sit-ups, punching you know, a thousand, you know, 200 front kicks, whatever, and mm -hmm. just to tire people out and, and not much on technique. So again, if you were one of my students back then, if you're still alive or whatever, I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and, and how long did you do, teach at that school then? We did it for about a year. And then, okay. uh, I made black belt and I moved to Houston. Mm -hmm. Again, my black belt test was great. They took the top all-stars from Texas to fight California all-stars. There weren't many black belts around, so you didn't have a black belt team, so it was the brown belts. So I went out there. It was Jeff Smith, uh, Rick Vaughn, Harry Leggett, myself, Bill Watson, and John was the alternative, was alternate. Mm -hmm. Out there, and uh, we fought. I, can't, I, think, I, can't, I think we lost. I don't remember, but... At that tournament, the day before, we did a lot of forms for my black belt test. Me and John, John, uh, Bill Watson, and me all did forms in one steps. And the next day, we fought and got promoted to black. So that was kind of a, uh, a fun thing. So, and Jeff was out there. Mm -hmm. Jeff, here's a, another funny story. Yeah. So we wanted a car, so we're out. So we got a car. They said, okay, you use this car. So we're out driving around, and we're in L.A., and it's me and Jeff and, and John and uh, Leggett and Watson, I guess, all of us right there were driving, and the muffler comes off. <laughs> really? so we get pulled over. 
and the cop says, hey, let me see the registration. So we dig through the club box. Oh, here it is. We give it to him. He, he looks at the registration, looks at us, looks at the registration. He says, you do not look like Priscilla Presley. <laughs> <laughs> what? Really? Our belongs to Priscilla Presley. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We're here on a brown belt team. <laughs> And she's friends with Mike Stone. And so we didn't know, but they give us the car. He's, oh, I heard about you guys. I read it in the paper. All right, careful with the car. Be careful. Get the muffler fixed. <laughs> See, let us off. But, That's uh, awesome. Yeah, it was, a, it was it was fun. I just watched that movie Elvis a couple of days ago. So <laughs> oh, I want to see it. It's yeah, really good. It. It's really yeah. good. Yeah. That's funny. Okay. So then you said you moved to Houston and then what, where, where did, you, did you start training somewhere else? Did you open your own school no, when you got to Houston? No, I'm working for George Minshew down in Houston. Okay. And I was teaching for him. And again, I had, he taught me a lot about how to teach, but I still was needing a lot of help. Mm-hmm. I was really not the best teacher in the world. You know, I didn't understand that. Yeah, you know, that was the beginning. Mm-hmm. And then Jeff Smith called me. He said, Pat, Reed's looking for teachers. How would you like a job up here in DC? And I said, are you kidding me? He said, no. So they pay you? Yeah, you get paid a lot of money. For those days, it was a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I went out to a tournament and I went to D.C., met Mr. Ree and the gang, and then we went to New York to fight the All-American at Madison Square Garden. I didn't win, but uh, I fought a guy named Miyazaki who was really good, mm-hmm. but Mr. Ree was very impressed, and uh, he offered me a job. And so I was like, okay, this is a deal. I'm coming. So I moved up there and started teaching in March of 1970. It was a big cultural shock because I was coming from Texas. Basically, I lived in Hearst, which was kind of a small town. And it wasn't that it was big, but it was it wasn't that big. It wasn't in the country, it wasn't the boondocks, but it was you know a suburb of Fort Worth, like a second or third ring suburb. So it was and moving to DC was a big opener. Right. And uh, Mr. Ree, of course, had a professional organization. So they taught you how to teach. So we we meet once a week on how to teach and how to run business. At that point, I was starting to learn a little bit about how teaching. I still hadn't quite got it down because yeah, teaching's hard. But uh, I learned about teaching basics and learned about having a curriculum. I learned about a lot of things like that. It was I'll always been indebted to Mr. Reed for that opportunity. And Jeff, I have to admit, Jeff Smith got me up there, and that was a, a big, big, big deal. Changed my life nice. in many ways for positive. And then, how long did you end up uh, staying in the D.C. area? Stayed there for four years. So I got John up there. So we mm-hmm. had up there. John was up there. And we uh, then we got Larry Carnahan up there. Yep. And we were up there. And so John and this other uh, guy from Texas, Gary Eslow, they just they wanted to go open a school. So they moved to Minnesota and opened a school. And they'd been here maybe on uh, four months. And they offered me a job. Say, hey, Pat, why don't you come up as a partner? I said, great. I loved in D.C. I loved D.C. I lo- it was the best town. I mean, I just loved it. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to be on my own. I wanted to expand. So uh, I took them on that opportunity, came up, became a partner with them, and opened a school in West St. Paul, which is a suburb of St. Paul. Mm-hmm. And it did very well right off the bat. You know, it just happened to be the right time. And I was starting to learn a bit more about teaching and how to teach and understand that, that students are there for them, not for me. And uh, so and John and I were partners. And, Shortly after that, uh, we got Larry Carnahan to be a partner, and then I brought up Gordon Franks. Gordon had gone up there to come up to Minnesota to go to school. Mm-hmm. He was, you know, he's real smart, so he got uh, a scholarship at Carleton, which is a real good school. Yep. He was going to Carleton, and uh, he was then driving back and forth to, uh, to our school, so he helped teach. So he, he he taught part time, and then later on he became a partner, and Larry became a partner. So we had. Uh, and Gary was part. Gary left, so it was all four of us. 
we had an awful strong group. Matter of fact, it was a little bit too strong because everybody had their own opinions. Everybody mm-hmm. wanted to do it their own way. And it's too, you can't have that many chefs, that many, you know, in, uh, leaders. But uh, they're all, I mean, Larry is amazing. And I don't know if you know him or have talked to him mm-hmm. much, but he's done more for sport cry than anybody. He, uh, Joe Corley was a, you know, a big guy that's done a lot for sport karate, but Larry, over the years, um, it's, it's amazing what he's done. And I couldn't do it. I mean, he goes to tournaments every weekend. And holy cow, I would have killed somebody by now. But he does. <laughs> he, he goes and helps, pitches in and leads them. And he's just an amazing guy. Hoping to have him on the show. I've, I've chatted with him a few times and he's very busy. So I'm hoping to get him on. I, 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 I did talk to Joe Corley. He was on the show earlier last year. So Joe's an amazing guy. I yes. mean, you know, he, he's the first guy. All the If you go out there and you see all this mix, mixed martial arts, all these organizations, all these you know promotions. It started with Joe. Mm-hmm. He's the first guy that took karate seriously and made tournaments an event. And he made the finals a show, and it was spectacular. He's the first guy. He had the vision. Hey, this is a sport, and these are athletes, and we're going to treat them like superstars, and we're going to do this and do that. And uh, it was great. I mean, he, he did a lot. We learned a lot from him. And then uh, we did the Diamond Nationals, yep. and that became a, a big tournament. It was, you know, it, it was always big, but then Larry and John, of course, made it what it is today. Yeah, uh, and I haven't been to it in over twenty years. I actually need to go back one of these years just to visit uh-oh. it. But it's it's amazing. They've done a great job. They've really, really done a great job. Probably the best tournament in the country. Nice. You know, thanks to those two guys, and they have a partner, Bill Dunkley, but mm-hmm. uh, he's a up partner. But mm-hmm. John and Larry have done so much. It's just a great event. If you go, you'll be so impressed. Okay. So then uh, what, what was next then in your karate? You said, you, you, obviously, the four, four of you were partners, and at some point that changed, and you, you went off on yeah. your own. We had schools, and so uh, we had a pretty bitter breakup. It was pretty hard. Mm-hmm. We both wanted what we wanted, and uh, so we split off, and John and Larry had national karate. Gordon and I had USA karate. We had 12 schools at one time, just really doing well. And uh, before we split off, when we were mid-America, I wrote the first manual on how to teach. And uh, it was, don't want to brag, but it was a great book. Nice. Someone, someone got it. Mm-hmm. Took it out on the road, and they were selling it as their uh, really giving doing seminars. And yeah, I was at a seminar one time. I looked down, and I said, "This is mine." <laughs> no, it's not. Yeah, it is. And I didn't copyright it, so I couldn't do anything about it. But oh, it man. was a it was a very good manual on how to teach and it had all kinds of stuff. You know, how to do demos, when to show up, and wow, all kinds of stuff. Okay, it was a pretty good deal. Anyway, so uh, we split up, and we got USA Karate, and John and Larry had National. Uh, and Gordon is my partner, and he's he does all the hard work. Mm-hmm. He's behind the line, but you know he's not in front of him. He's kind of bashful, to be honest. But uh, he's an administrator and very good at that. He did all the accounting work. He worked with all the insurance people, and you know kept things on a level head. And if I tried to get too out of whack, he'd get me back on track. <laughs> nice. So make too many bad mistakes. But uh, we had a good organization. We did very well. And I just said we've been. I've been really lucky to be around some really good people. And uh, some of the people that still have schools with us are Jake Rell, uh, David Younglove, Alan Kuntzman, Steve Seamy, and uh, people that worked and have done a lot of really good stuff for USA Cry, like Kerry Kruko and Asa Kim. And then uh, the guy that's still competing out there is a guy named Dominic Forte. And he's a USA black belt. He was under Gordon. He's got Forte's karate now, but he's uh, still going. So we got a lot of good people that have been with us and I'm really fortunate. I feel real lucky about the people in my in our organization. Definitely. So, 
Nice. So, so think back to that, that very first class when you were the worst teacher in the world to now, what do you think has changed most about your teaching style over the years? I, I kind of touched on it. Is that one is you learn that the students are there for them. They're mm-hmm. not there for you. You're there for them. And uh, I used to tell my staff all the time, you know, you know, how are you is a greeting. It's not a question. So when students ask, how are you? They're greeting you. Don't tell them how you are. They don't care if you broke your favorite, you know, hard rock album or spilled red wine on your white carpet. They don't care about that. They're there for them. So you're there to make their day good, give them a good workout to help them get better. And, and everybody's there is different. You know, I used to think that people want to be a champion and they don't. People come for different reasons. Some want to be a champion. Some just want a good workout. Some people come in there just because they they want the social. They want to meet friends and talk, you know, and uh, they don't have to be great. And give them time to be good. You teach them something, I tell my people, my students, my teachers, give someone a ball to juggle. If they can throw one ball up and down, give them two. If they can do two, give them three. But don't walk up and give them six and say juggle. (laughs) Right. You know, give them one. Let them come at their rate, and they're going to go at their pace. It's okay. They don't have to learn all today. Mm-hmm. If they don't learn today, it's all right. Don't worry about it. Help them. And if they're ready, give them another ball to jump. If they're not, let them just do one. It's a cool analogy. I like that. <laughs> nice. Well, it, it, it's hard because things that I did naturally because I've been doing it for so long, mm-hmm. I forgot that it was, it's hard for people. Mm-hmm. Some things are just, they don't get it. And that's okay. You know, they don't have to get it. It's my job to teach them a little bit so they can learn how to get it. So if they can't kick somebody in the head, big deal. Teach them how to kick somebody in the ankle. And then when they get better, teach them how to kick them somebody in the knee. Then teach, you know, eventually they'll get to the head. But don't try to teach them how to do it in one class. So when, and this, maybe this is backing up a little bit. When did the safety gear thing start with you and Junery? When did that come about? I got kicked in the face really hard, put me in the hospital, broke my cheekbone by probably the best karate guy I've ever seen. Wow. And Mike Warren. Anyway, kicked me in the cheek, broke my cheek. The mystery just said, I've got to do something because there were injuries in class. There were injuries in tournaments. Mm-hmm. So he came up with the idea of these pads. And uh, so he would come up with a design. He would bring it to, to Jeff, John, and me, and Larry and say, what do you think? And we'd put it on and kick around and work on it and say, well, you need to do this. Well, this is good, but this doesn't work. And so he uh, is his genius, but uh, our input, because we would do the, you know, we'd do the, the training with to see how it worked. Mm-hmm. I worked in a tournament in Baltimore, and uh, I kicked a lot. And, uh, you know, you kick an elbow here and there, and it hurts. <laughs> yep. So I put these pads on. I kicked the guy in the face and, and knocked him out. And Mr. E, anyway, later, I said, boy, this, this is great. I kicked this guy in the face. He said, well, how's the guy's face? I said, I don't know, but my foot is fine, and that's what I care about. <laughs> nice. Because, you know, you, people were getting their knuckles broke, you know, because you'd punch them in the elbow, and you'd break a knuckle, break a finger. Mm-hmm. So the pads just made, it, made sense to me. I've always been a big believer in them. And uh, they just—they're great. They change the industry a lot. Thankfully, we, there's they, you know people are using them. So, how long did that take then for them to really catch on before they were okay. pretty much at every tournament? It took a couple of years. Okay. We went down to I think the first tournament was Dallas. We went to Dallas and won a team event. So it was a DC team against the Texas team, and we wore the pads. And that was the first time people have seen them. When I when I first wore them, people they were yellow. People, hey, hey, duck feet. Hey, look at Mr. <laughs> duck feet. Because of yellow. Yeah, well, the duck feet now. 
And so nice. we wore them in Dallas. Then the uh, top 10 nationals in St. Louis were promoted by Fred Wren and uh, Mike Anderson. And Mike Anderson, to his credit and Fred's credit, said, we're going to make these mandatory in black belt. If you're going to fight, you must wear them. So we took a bunch up there, a bunch of pads up there and, and put them on people and had them wear them. And of course, some people complain, you know, yeah. that's not fair. Oh, that That's why I lost. And people used to say, well, the pads make you sloppy. <laughs> and I would look at them and go, this is an inanimate object. It can't make you anything. If you're sloppy, it's just going to show. That's all. But I mean, it's a, it's a piece of foam. How's it making you do anything? Then, of course, you know, when kids came in, you know, you just, you need them. It's just, it's just common sense. It just, it was a no brainer that these were important. These were a positive for the industry. And, uh, but it took a couple of years, and finally, everybody started, you know, making them mandatory. Promoters knew that they couldn't have people getting their, you know, the first one I went to back to Dallas, first tournament, seven people went to the hospital in the, before they got to Black Belt. Wow. They had two ambulances on call this tournament in Dallas. That's crazy. Yeah, you were getting broken fingers, broken toes, broken noses, split eyebrows. Because mm-hmm. there was no control and no pants. You know, he didn't wear a mouthpiece. Some people wore a shin guard and a cup. He wore a cup. That was it. And a shin guard. Okay. But if you wore a shin pad, a lot of people called you a sissy. Hey, sissy. What, you can't take it? You know? Yeah, no. My shins hurt. <laughs> so, hey, eventually, all the promoters started requiring it. It made a big difference. So, was it mostly good. just hands and feet pads back then? Or did they have, was headgear a thing, too? Or did that come later? That came later. Okay. The headgear came later. And it took a little time for that to come around. Because you know, again, it was it's different. People didn't like wearing it. We got people today don't wear headgear. They yeah, complain about it. Complain about wearing headgear and a face shield. It's just, it's just, hey, come on. Especially for kids yeah. and uh, and the 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 Saturday afternoon, Sunday afternoon competitor. These people are doctors and lawyers. They can't <laughs> afford to come to class and and get their nose broke. Yeah, go to a tournament and get their eyes split open. They got to be protected because you're kicking and punching people. And it's just, you got to wear something. I mean, otherwise they're not going to go. You know, a guy is not going to, you know, if I'm on, for instance, uh, a newscaster on TV, I can't afford to get a black eye and then go on TV. Yeah, that's true. You run those people off. They just go like, my livelihood's at stake. I can't do it. So, and just smart people went, why do I get a broken nose? <laughs> I don't want a black eye. So they wear headgear and wear pads. Okay. Do you miss the old school you know, rough and tumble, full contact stuff at all? Let me think about that. No, <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was okay for me for then. Yeah. Like I said, a lot of good people dropped out because they couldn't take it or were smart enough to leave. Okay. That would have been very, very good. But they didn't have time to jail. Yeah. They went in and said, why do I want to get my ribs broke? This is, that hurts. I was young and uh, not smart. So I got my ribs broke. I just went, eh, it's a broken rib. Who cares? But, you know, as you get older, you start caring. You're young. But uh, it's it's a whole lot better. A whole lot better. People are better. The technique's better. Teaching's better. Everything. I mean, they're just way better than me. Here's the way I learned how to do a round kick. Mm-hmm. My teacher said, just do a front kick, but do it sideways. <laughs> just lean <laughs> over sideways and front kick. There you go. That was a mystery again taught us on how to teach, you know, how to break it down and teach. So that was a big, again, a big thing when I went to mystery. So it was good. Cool. Nice. So what led to Sport Karate Magazine? Sport Karate, we had a, and maybe John touched on this, but uh, we were doing a newsletter. Mm-hmm. We sent a newsletter to all our students, and we would write stories. And, and then we decided to make it a newspaper. So we made it a newspaper, and then we sent it to everybody. So we sent it to everybody we knew, and we'd mail it out. And then it eventually went to a slicky 
to uh, magazine style. And we sent it to, the, the problem was, it was, you know, John was the editor and did a great job. It really was, I think, a very good magazine, but it appealed to the people and the leadership. You know, it appealed to people that were promoting tournaments. It appealed to people that were uh, top fighters, but that's a limited number. Right. You don't have the green belts and white belts weren't really reading it that much. And second thing is to get distribution is very difficult. To get it on the newsstand is really hard. It, it's very expensive. It's going to cost us, it, I think in those days, it's going to be thirty or $40,000 just to see if it could sell. Wow. It's a lot of money to, well, on something you don't know if it's going to work. Mm-hmm. But we lost a lot of money on that. You know, it was a, John did a great job. He really did a good job. And it was hard to make that decision to, to pull the plug on it. But it was just, it was just a money drain. Yeah. But uh, John did a great job. People liked it. The people that read it loved it. They liked the stories, they liked the pictures. Like I said, it, just, it was just cost all the money. So is there any, uh, any issues floating around out there that people still have? Anyone hang on to those? Probably. I, I don't know if I had any. Okay. It'd just be cool to see and read an issue from back yeah. then. It'd be kind of cool. Yeah. If somebody's out there, if you have one, let me know. I'd love to see yeah. it. Even just even some pictures of it. But so now do you, do you still currently teach or do you just you know, oversee nope. some schools or? No, nope, no. Nope. I do some private lessons once in a while, but okay. uh, I don't want to do private lessons in karate. I only do private lessons in jujitsu. Okay. Because I can't kick as well as I used to. So right. it's kind of hard. First, and also because there's a lot of good people teaching already, so they don't need me doing karate. Once in a while, I go out and teach a little bit, but uh, mainly I just do jujitsu. Okay, and that actually my next question. I was going to ask, what, what led to that? When did you decide to, to start learning uh, jujitsu, and kind of what led to that decision? Well, back in D.C., I would see some jujitsu. That's kind of cool. I enjoy doing it, and I would teach a little bit of what I picked up, but not the Brazilian jujitsu. Just mm-hmm. the you know standing, you know wrist locks, a lot of wrist locks, a lot of uh, elbow breaking stuff, and that kind of stuff. But nothing like anything they do today. Then I had a te- one of my students. There's a had, he owned a school named Clint Claus, and his best friend Damon Hurts were doing jujitsu, and I'd watch them. And I go, that's interesting. I've read comments, but I'm, you know, I'm too old. I'm, you know, 54 years old, whatever. <laughs> 50 years old. I, I'm too old for that. Just start that. And I was watching. Well, that sure is interesting. So one day, about now, it's about 20 years ago. I got a good friend of mine named George Faber, who was also on my black bus in karate. I said, George, we're going to do some jujitsu. He said, what, what, what? I said, just hop in. So we, we drove to this town and, uh, where Clint was teaching and we do work out with him. It'd be me, Clint Claus, maybe Damien, a guy named Sean Shirk, George and me. Now Sean Shirk fought for the world UFC title. Yep. I know Sean. Yep. He is. And, uh, before I started those, I went to, I was watching Sean do some stuff and he was doing double legs. So doing, you know, shooting for a double leg. And I just remember thinking, that's the fastest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> I've never seen anybody that fast across the line. Howard Jackson was second fastest. This guy. Wow. So I got pretty impressed. So we were doing that. And, uh, with Clint, we do it in class with Clint. And so we already go to his garage and do a class. And so it just, and then Damien decided he wanted to open a school. So I said, go to one of my schools and teach at my school until you build a clientele and then, you know, go for it. So he would, we would meet Damien once a week and he was doing this for free and we would do a class. And so finally I said, guys, we got to pay him something. So we we're paying him and he would teach us. Then he opened his, he opened his own school in Edina and uh, we started going there and uh, he has grown his school. He's done a great job. He's a great teacher and with Alliance and I love it. It's, it's been a, a really lot of fun because the thing about jiu-jitsu that I like a lot, first of all, I like the technique, I like the workout. 
if it starts getting really hard, all you got to do is tap somebody on the shoulder and they quit. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. But if you're sparring somebody in karate and they're about to sack you, you can't tap them on the leg and they quit. <laughs> that is they true. They kick in the ribs. <laughs> and, it, you know, it's, at 74, it's kind of you know, kind of hurts to get kicked in the ribs now. I can imagine. <laughs> anyway, so we, we were, I've been doing that with uh, Damien. And he's, again, a great job. Does a great job teaching. It's a great organization. We're the Alliance. I don't know if you who Alliance is. Yep, I, I'm familiar with their school. I, I, I've heard that. I've never met Damien, but I know the name, and I'm actually looking at yeah. the website right now. So, Well, Alliance, is, there are three guys that start Alliance. A guy named Romero, Jacques Ray, Cavalcanti, I mispronounced his name, Fabio Grigel, and uh, Alexander Pavis. And those are the three guys that do it. So we're under Fabio. Okay. And he is just a fab. They're all fabulous. They, they started this organization years ago. And they have more world champions than anybody. And I'm very proud to be in the Alliance group. So thank you, fellas, and Damien. Okay. Now you've been doing martial arts your whole life, pretty much. You know, you said over over 55 years, and you started doing the full contact, and you switched to the sport karate stuff. What are your thoughts on MMA and the UFC? And are you a fan of that? Oh, I'm a big fan. Oh, nice. I, I think uh, that it's 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 amazing. Those guys are great athletes, just superb athletes. You know, and they've gotten better and better and better and better and uh, the UFC is a great organization. I mean, they've done so much for that. Dana White is an amazing guy. You think what he's done and he's built that. Or it was losing money when he took it over. Yep. And now look at it. It's a multi-million dollar organization. And and he did it. I mean, he's amazing. Some, he's just something that, you know, we tried. We tried to make a big organization sport karate in mm-hmm. full contact and couldn't do it. Uh, Joe Corley tried. It didn't work, but uh, Dana did it. I mean, it's, and, it they, and these guys are great athletes. I mean, you watch them, there's holy cow, they're very impressive. I think. Oh, that is true. That definitely some insane athletes. And I would have loved to have been younger and be able to do that. I was actually going to ask you that if that if that would have came out when you were younger, would you have tried it? Oh, in a heartbeat. So yeah, it's just yeah, it looks fun. I would love to do it now. I wouldn't, of course not. <laughs> I don't like getting hit in the head. I'm dumb enough as it is. I do not need anybody breaking it and killing any more brain cells. <laughs> so obviously you, you've met and trained with some amazing people over the years. And is, so who are some names, and they don't have to be people you know or you've met, but who are like three or four or five names that you would put on your personal Mount Rushmore of martial arts? Oh, God. Oh, oh my brother, Gordon nice. Franks, Ray Carnahan. Okay. <laughs> These guys have done a lot. They've done some great things. But, uh, you know, obviously Fabio mm-hmm. and Jacques Ray and Gigi, those guys are the guys uh, uh, for the Alliance. Okay. And Mr. Reed. Definitely. Jeff, Jeff Smith, Mike Warren, Raymond Daniels. Have you seen that guy fight? Holy cow, is he good. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of people out there that are just, the sport's great. I mean, we have a great industry and it's got some really good people in it now. Yeah. Again, when I started, there's just, you know, we had very few people doing it. Like I said, when I was in Texas, you didn't have enough black bus to make an all-star team. There was just so few black belts in, in Texas to, to fight the California black belts. So that's crazy. But, uh, yeah. So do you still uh, enjoy just as a fan? Do you still enjoy going to watch? Like, do you go and watch like the Diamond National still? Yeah, I, I like to go and watch. I like I like to see. But I can't be all day, you know. But uh, right, I like to see some of it. Some of it bothers me because sometimes I see some people acting like they're better than they are, and I, I think humility goes a long way. But there are some guys out there that are just they're amazingly good. Yeah. And you watch, and those guys are humble. The good ones are humble. The ones that aren't humble aren't that good. But you got Raymond Daniels, and this guy, I mean, man, wow, he's amazing. 
I got a, one of my you know black belts that goes out and competes in the senior division form. He's really good. A guy named Paul J. Mo. Okay. You know, he's out there competing all the time. And they're good, you know, Dominic Forte. You know, he's one of my guys, and uh, he's still out there competing and doing form. Doesn't fight much, but does form. And mm-hmm. They do good forms. And he was the first guy, by the way, to do uh, gymnastics in karate. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. It was back in the late 80s, early, maybe late 80s. Okay. He did a backflip, and uh, that was like, oh, my goodness. And of course, <laughs> a lot of people hated it. They, you know, they, some judges would give him zero. Really? But, yeah, but then the crowd loved it. So if the crowd likes it, it's hard to give a zero. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is true. Speaking of that, I was one of the first persons in form because it used to be when people did form, they would get three, four, maybe a five from the judge. Mm-hmm. And I'm going, these are our top athletes, and we're giving these people four. So I started giving people eight and nines. Nice. I was one of the first people to do that because I thought if we give them a three and four, the crowd thinks they're not, not that good. But if I give them an eight or nine, then the crowd thinks they're good and they start going, wow. And so I started giving them the, the higher score. And if I give somebody an eight, it's hard to sit next to me and give them a three. That is true. <laughs> so, so thinking back over all your years of martial arts, and I know one thing that was really important to Junery was philosophy. So is there yeah. one philosophy you've learned in martial arts that just really rises to the top is super important to you? Don't take yourself too seriously. Nice. I like that one. I don't care how good you get. There's always somebody better. And it's just a sport. It's an activity. It's a very valuable activity. Mm-hmm. Oh, here's something I learned a lot. This, this is okay. This is good for people. Here's what the best thing I got from martial arts other than it, is the discipline and learn how to set goals, learn how to think long term, but act short term. And uh, that was, I mean, that, you know, it, as simple as that seems, I didn't really do that when I was younger. I would go in school, I would get the textbook, go to the back of the textbook and read that and go, God, I can't learn this. <laughs> and, but karate taught me one step at a time. Get to step one, then think about step two. And two, it taught me discipline. You know, if you want to be good at something, you must be disciplined. You can't sit there and think, well, I'll work out tomorrow. No, you got to work out now. You can do one more rep. Because if you're not doing that one more rep, somebody else is. That's how you get good. So discipline. So it taught me discipline. I like that. All right. I got a few fun questions to wrap it up here. So the All first right. one, favorite martial arts book? Uh, Dojo, Peter Urban. I've never read it. I've heard, I've uh, probably three or four guests have mentioned it. I need to find a copy of that. It was a great book to start with. Also, uh, Chuck Norris's book. I forgot the name of it, but, uh, it talks about his journey. That's a good book. Okay. What was it? God, I can't remember the name. Hey, in my age, I can't remember anything. <laughs> well, I'll look that one up too, but I need to find a copy of the Peter Urban one for sure. Cause like I said, I've heard so many people talk about it and so I have, you know, a decent martial arts book library, but I do not have that book and I want to find it. And I just got a few of Mr. Ree's books. Um, I yeah. in- interviewed um, Francis Pineda. Yep. Yep. Good man. Yeah. And he sent me uh, three of Junery's books. So. Did you, did you see the picture of me and John in there? I don't think so. You, do you have the gold belt book? I'm trying to see if they're next to me or not. He, they're they're actually upstairs in my bedroom. So I'll, I'll have to double you check. Can, but I have, you I have get th- the gold belt book. Go up there and look at some of the self-defense stuff. Okay. You got John and, and Jeff and me in there. Oh, very cool. Okay. Oh, it's good. Right. You'll love it. <laughs> nice. I'll check that out. Cool. All right. How about a favorite martial arts TV show? Oh, Green Hornet. Nice. Okay. Yeah. I suppose that was one of the first ones for you. So. So good. He was so good because he did really good karate, mm-hmm. which I liked. And it's still good. If you go back and watch them, they're still good episodes. Yep. How about a favorite martial arts movie? Uh, okay. Billy Jack was one. Karate Kid was nice, two. Nice. And then uh, all of Norris's. Okay. So. 
Karate Kid's always my go-to because that's the reason I started martial arts. I came out in, in June of uh, 1984, and yep. the I was on a Friday night, went to the opening night, and there was two gentlemen standing outside of the movie theater afterwards handing out free passes to a Tung Sudo school, and I joined that Monday night. So, Which school was it? it was, uh, do you remember Bill? You know Bill Nelson, I'm sure. Of course, yeah. Yep, yeah, it was Bill Nelson, him and uh, Tim Broda. Where, where was it? Little Falls, Minnesota. Yeah, Bill is good. He's yeah. also really good. He's a real good martial artist. Yeah, he's a good guy. But yeah, he's him and the Karate Kid are the reason I started. That's always that's yeah, always my go to. Good, good start. Good group. Yeah. Good, good, good uh, heritage. Yep, definitely. And he was actually one of my first guests on the podcast. I went back and interviewed all my original instructors. That was kind of fun. Okay. And now, final question. Now, this one doesn't have to be a martial arts movie. Just yeah, and I know you you used to like fighting when you were younger. So I just want to know a favorite movie fight scene oh god oh man i can't think of one okay no no chuck norris with uh bruce lee and at the uh coliseum in rome oh the way of the dragon or yeah it's a couple different yeah. names but yeah oh that's a great... it, it, it was it wasn't into the dragon it was the other one it yep. was in the second and norris and him had a real good fight scene yeah that's a good one that, that one's always tough for me because I, I I think mine changes all the time. There's so many good ones. I mean, I, I some good fight scenes in in uh, Best of the Best. There's some good in in The Perfect Weapon. Um, obviously, some Chuck. I, I love Chuck Norris's fight scene in the movie Sidekicks when he fights Joe Piscopo. I know oh. I know it's more funny, but I I love that fight scene. It makes me laugh every time I watch it. Yeah. So anything else that maybe I forgot to ask or we forgot to talk about that you want to make sure we get out there and, and mention? I don't know. I can say I'm very boring. But, uh, <laughs> I don't think so. You've been telling great stories, man. I, I I love this. This has been so much fun. I've really enjoyed this a lot. And, and like I said, I know I, you know, I talked to John and stuff and I'm hoping to have Larry on the show in the future. And I'm trying to get Jeff Smith on the show too. So, yeah. I'm, you know, trying to get some of those, those old school guys, but uh, it, it's, it's been so much fun and I'm hoping 2023, I can get back to the diamond nationals. It's tough. The last few years, it's been the same weekend as my instructor's tournament up in Fargo, North Dakota. So oh. I'm, I'm hoping maybe they do them on a different weekend next year and I can go because last time I was at the diamonds was probably 99 or 2000. It's been a while. Been a while. Yeah. yeah. My, my first time was 1990. I went and watched my friend compete and, and we, we went back. I think the only year I didn't go was probably 96 cause I lived in California. So, huh. and I went that's to, good. went to Ed Parker. I went to the long beach internationals that year. So. That's a good one. That was a big, that's one of the old ones. That was one of the, one of the original uh, big three. Yep. Did you ever get to compete in that one? Yeah, I did once. Okay. One time. How was that? It was fun. Uh, different rules. Cause I was on the East coast where you get kicked in the head mm -hmm. on the West coast. You, you can't touch the head. And so if you get close to that, they won't call it. If you hit them, you lose a point. Okay. But it was good. I mean, it's a good tournament, a big tournament, great people, great fighters. Some of the best, you know, won it. Some of the best or go there. It's a good tournament. Cool. Well, I just don't think I want to say thank you so much. I, I truly appreciate your time and I, I've loved hearing your stories and, and know you're not boring. <laughs> I think this has been really fun and I, I think the listeners are going to really appreciate you telling your story like this. Well, one thing I want to say real quickly. Yes. That, uh, obviously, I'm a big leader in martial arts. Mm -hmm. Everybody should train in the martial arts. Everybody. Yes. And I don't know who you are. But when I got married, I told my wife, I've got three rules. That, you, that I demand. You laugh. Well, she had 20, so I only had three. <laughs> you can't smoke. Mm -hmm. I can't be on a smoker. That killed my parents. I can't do that. I'm not going to, no, that's not going to happen. Yep. And you can't do drugs. I can't be on a shit. Of course I was drugs. And you got to do six months of karate. Oh, I ain't doing that. I'm not doing that. You got to. <laughs> I believe in it. I want you to be able to at least know how to defend yourself. You take mm -hmm. six months. 
you know, you'll have some basis. Well, she took 10 years. So, oh, but nice. Every, you know, everybody should take some martial arts in their life. You should, I think it should be mandatory if you have kids. For children, it's great. It's just, it, it, it does so much. So if you're out there listening and you're not already involved, please get a friend involved. Do them a favor. I'm hoping at some point in my life we'll see it in the public school system in the U.S. I know Chuck Norris had really great luck with his program in Texas with the kick drugs out of America and everything he did and, and had such amazing success. I, he was in hundreds of schools down there and yeah. I, I'd love to see, I actually tried to do that up here at a school and stuff. I, I'd, I'd love it. I mean, same thing. I, I think everyone should try it at some point in their life. I know I got, I got my mom to join in her forties and she got her black belt. So Good deal. yeah, I hope they go to a commercial school. I, I'm a big believer in commercial schools because they have a reason to do a good job because they don't get paid otherwise. And so, I would, you know, so anyway, that's, that's, those are my last two cents. And everybody, if you're listening, thanks for listening. I hope it's not too boring. I've been very, very fortunate in my life. I am the luckiest guy in the world. Like I said, I turn 74 tomorrow. Oh, wow. Happy birthday. Competing. I'm going to Europe in January to compete in the European Open Jiu-Jitsu Tournament. Nice. I love it. I like to compete. It's just, I'm, I'm very fortunate. I'm healthy. What else can I do? Got a great wife. My wife is a wonderful woman. Not, she doesn't choose men very wisely, but other than that, she's great. <laughs> well, hey, and martial arts keeps you young, obviously. So, you're, I mean, still competing at, at 74. I mean, that's that's awesome. Good for you. And you obviously still love it and still enjoy doing it. That's the important thing, too. You got to have you got to have fun. And that's, you know, that's the tough thing is you some people, unfortunately, maybe live in an area where there's there's no schools or maybe there's only one and it's not one you enjoy. So you find a way to do it because everyone nope. should try it. If you stop, you die. That is true. We'll end on that. I like that. If you stop, you'll die. <laughs> Thanks. I really appreciate this. I hope people enjoy it. Thanks for listening to Everyday Martial Artists. We hope you'll join us every week for a brand new episode with a different martial artist telling their story. If you enjoy the show, be sure to leave us a review. Also, be sure to check out our website at everydaymartialartist.com. There you can find all of our episodes and contact us to suggest guests and ask questions. Again, thanks for listening to Everyday Martial Artists, and we'll see you next week.